Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. As I was reflecting on today and what I wanted to talk about and the year that was and the year that's going to be, uh, of course, the idea of resolutions kind of comes to the forefront. And we had a poll this week on Instagram and a majority of you made it pretty clear that you were kind of done with any resolution talk. And I get that. We just want to move forward, survive the next day. But I think there is something to dreaming forward, to planning and to preparing ourselves. I'm not talking about resolutions in particular, but I want to talk today about ambition. Because I think fundamentally, ambition is a good thing. It's a gift from God. We're not Buddhists. They believe that what is wrong with our world is desire. So if we can just get rid of our desires, then we will achieve personal nirvana. But that is not the Christian call. Uh, Ambition is good. And if you call the lower mainland home, whether you were uh, raised here or moved here, ambition is part of the ethos of of the region. Uh, You are here because you have committed yourself to being here. And normally a few things can happen. You are here because a particular industry that you care about is focused out here, or you are here personally because of family or a creative opportunity. You have an ambition for your own life, maybe a relationship, something that anchors you here. And I think this this idea of ambition is relevant as we begin 2021. Because whether you consider yourself an ambitious person or not, maybe you've already immediately tuned out because you're just like, I'm not an ambitious person in any way, but we all have a desire towards something, something in some area to some degree. Ambition is in our wiring. I love this quote from James K.A. Smith about ambition. He says, if you keep walking around the phenomenon of ambition, you start to note a couple of features. First, the opposite of ambition is not humility. It is sloth. In complacency. We sometimes like to comfort ourselves by imagining that the ambitious are prideful and arrogant so that those of us who never risk, never aspire, never launch out into the deep get to wear the moralizing mantle of humility. Mic drop. <laughs> I think ambition is a gift and I know I have ambition And many of you have it as well. And I'm glad that we do. And I'm glad we're here together this morning. But I do want to acknowledge that ungodly, selfish ambition is very damaging. It's damaging to relationships, to integrity. And here's the thing. Ambition is built on two fundamental ideas. Domination and recognition. Which means uh, we want to win. And we want everyone to know we're winning. Uh, I want to win. I want to be at the front, but it isn't enough to do just that. I don't want to do it in total obscurity. No, I need everyone to know that I did it. I need to look good. And this is where you carefully curate your domination through Instagram or or TikTok or, or Facebook or wherever your people are. It is a curated recognition of your domination. And if it's not tied to ambition, then we say, well, I don't even care about that. And anything not dominated, we often dismiss as if we don't even care about it. Have you ever done that? 
I know I've caught myself doing that on many occasions. And there are scenes of uh, ungodly ambition in the Bible. There's David when he numbers his troops. He's basically just wanting to know how many people do I have? And God says, don't get prideful in your heart. There's the extremely ironic scene of ungodly ambition at the Last Supper where Jesus, well, he's just washed the disciples' feet. And it's an example of servant leadership, this beautiful preparation that he made sure was taking place. And as he's preparing for supper, uh, a dispute arose amongst those at the table as to which of them was to be considered the greatest. And Jesus is like, I just finished washing your feet as a servant. I'm about to go to the cross. And they're like, yeah, we know we are really grateful, but who is uh, numero uno? The irony, the awkwardness, the inappropriateness. Sometimes this is what ungodly ambition looks like. So selfish ambition can overtake us. But, but I want to note this, that nowhere does Jesus say that ambition is bad. And Anytime ambition services in the Gospels, Jesus, he redirects it towards an appropriate end. He doesn't say, get rid of it. So we begin our year and, and our thoughts on our next steps for 21. And we start to formulate ideas of how we're going to move forward. So to me, this key issue then is not how do we get rid of ambition, but how do we convert worldly ambition, selfish ambition, into a holy ambition. And if you are someone who has committed any time at all in the past 24 to 48 hours to think about the year to come, about plans and ideas that have begun to form in your mind, how do you discover more than simply your plans? I think we need to ask, how do we convert our worldly ambition into holy ambition? And this is what brings us to Nehemiah chapter 1. This is where we're going to be reading this morning. Because Nehemiah teaches us how to convert worldly ambition into holy ambition. And I've chosen Nehemiah this morning because Nehemiah, he, he, he isn't a pastor, he isn't a priest. And the book of Nehemiah in particular, it doesn't have any, any miracles. Because I'm like you, and if, if a guy like Paul is the one that we're always looking at, well, I'm a little skeptical when we're talking about something like ambition because he's an apostle, he's had training, he had a dramatic moment with God on the, on the road to Damascus, but Nehemiah was just a guy with a reasonable amount of privilege that got a vision and then worked hard. So all of you that are already saying that, well, I don't have the background or the right circumstances, or that just doesn't even really fit my personality, or essentially, I don't have what it takes, the qualifications for holy ambition. Nehemiah is your guy. Nehemiah, uh, he didn't have an angelic fortified city descend from the clouds to remake the invaded homeland. Nehemiah has to build the walls. Nehemiah has to build the gate. So I think his story matters. So let's read together from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV this morning. It says that the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as it was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the, remem the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Then Nehemiah writes, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I think that for those who know me, um, I would be characterized as an ambitious person, but I'm not sure that Nehemiah was thought of in this way at first. But something caught hold of him. So this morning, we're going to be talking about three things about how we convert worldly selfish ambition into holy ambition as we step into 2021. First thing, we have to be people with kingdom vision. What's that? Well, fair question. It is vision beyond the boundaries of your own concerns. Vision beyond the boundaries of your own concerns. Francis Schaeffer is this brilliant thinker, and he presents this idea saying, when the Christian church only cares about personal peace and affluence, which means I'm happy and I have enough for those I care about, the church is fundamentally dead in the world. When all I care about is how I'm doing and is there provision for those around me, the church is fundamentally over in the world. Why? Because this is what everybody wants. There is no Jesus in that. Where is the heart? Where is the vision connected to that? If we're not careful, the society that we're in today will drive us to care about only our personal peace and affluence. Maybe you felt this as well. And and we can lose grasp of any type of kingdom vision. And I think one of the greatest indicators of what our personal ambition, our selfish ambition, the vision for our life really looks like is how we pray. And when Jesus, he teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer, he gives us an idea of what a kingdom vision looks like. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But what I've noticed that more and more what I see is that when we let personal peace and affluence become the only goal of our lives, we're going to reverse the Lord's prayer. And and, and you're going to pray it backwards. You are going to start with, deliver me from evil. Help me with my temptation. I need to forgive people because there's all this bitterness messing up my relationships. Give me my daily bread. Also, um, the kingdom and the glory and the power. Thank you, Father. We basically reverse it. And we take a prayer that is meant to shape our hearts around kingdom vision and and we instead use it as a platform, another platform, to build our own personal vision. It becomes a selfish endeavor all over again. Kingdom vision is needed because it is about caring and looking above the horizon of our own concerns. And this is what happens to Nehemiah because he asks the question, He's a cupbearer to the king. He's got a lineage with Queen Esther, a lot of scholars postulate. And about a hundred years earlier, the children of Israel had begun to make their way back from exile. 
They had been conquered and this group had gone back to Jerusalem and this group had returned and was struggling badly. They had no protection. They had no walls. They had no gates. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to worship properly. And everyone was kind of like, well, that is just the challenge of exile. Bless their hearts. And then they go back to their lives. But Nehemiah, he doesn't. He asks the question, how is it going with those people? And what he hears is that this remnant that has returned to Jerusalem is in ruin. Catch this. Nehemiah is a man with a level of privilege. He has a position that is meaningful. He has a peaceful and secure life. But he asks questions because he cares about something beyond his own personal peace and affluence. God is always looking for people to care about the things that he cares about. God is always looking for people to share the burden and concern of his heart. He's looking for people to lift their eyes past the borders of their own concerns to ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? What is the need of the hour? And how do the passions and ambitions that are placed in my life, in my heart, intersecting and aligning with those that come from God. What does God have around me that I can respond to? There was a man named William Carey who played a large role in bringing the gospel, the good news of Jesus to India. Uh, He wasn't a perfect man, but a man with holy ambition. And it was a passion in his soul to share Jesus with the world. The issue he faced was that he was a cobbler. This is something that he saw as something that he was going to have to navigate. He was a shoe repairman. But here was the vision he had, and it was burning within him. So while he was repairing shoes, he began to teach himself Hebrew, Italian, Dutch, and French so that he could be prepared to do Bible translation work and travel with some, of, with some measure of fluency in his life. He, he made a map of the world with scraps from his shoes. And then between customers, he would just pray with this urgency to go, this urgency that was deep within him. He's famous for this phrase, to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. He was trying to wake up his generation to say, look beyond the borders of your own life to see what is possible in the kingdom of God. He had a kingdom vision fueling a holy ambition. He had a kingdom vision fueling a holy ambition. So let me ask you something. What is God's kingdom vision for 2021 for you? What do you see when you are looking beyond your own horizons? I know that you need to work on your relationships. I know you need to pay rent. I know you have a job that is demanding and a home life that is all-consuming and areas that you need to grow in. And those are all good. Those all matter. And we need to give attention to those. But what's above that? What's the kingdom vision? Do you have a sense that something is burning on your heart? And listen, it might not be dramatic, it might not be huge, but it's the thing that God wants to use to advance his purposes. There is such a burning within our hearts that needs to catch all that we're a part of. Maybe 2020 has shone a light on areas that you were unaware of. Maybe all of a sudden you have become aware of of the elderly. And you've begun to wonder what it is simply like to live in care homes. And you've begun to say to yourself, I want to do something about it. I want to show them Jesus' care. Maybe it's students struggling with with online learning and tutoring. And, And 
that becomes a platform for you to show some love and intentionality toward them. Maybe you've recognized that loneliness is heightened and you have felt this burning for intentional community development. It, it could be anything, but I so believe that we can learn from the year that was, that it was heartbreaking and brutal, and yet God is faithful. That God is faithful in helping us learn in the midst of it. Learning to, to express gratitude. Cheering on frontline workers, everyone together. Are we going to stop doing that for one another? Learning to ask for help and being there to help others. Offering to help your neighbors that we barely even talk to. Are we going to stop talking to them again? Learning to feel all the feels with all the conflicting emotions that come. Are we simply going to choose to bottle them up? Are we going to learn from this? And then learning to have difficult conversations. What's the thing that you know God has put into your heart that is bigger than just your personal concern? Because when the church is living with holy ambition, it is living as a people who have a vision beyond their own flourishing. So why don't you ask God this year? Lift my vision. Give me a vision beyond my own. Holy ambition starts with kingdom vision. And the second thing that it requires is best described by the findings of uh, social psychologist Roy Bollmeister. And he says that it's called the crystallization of discontent. That ambition at its core is a drive towards change from what is to what can be or what we desire to be. Change has to take place. That's part of ambition. And, and a resolution is a specific change we're attempting to make. So every year, people everywhere are making this ambitious change in their life. In, in a study from 2014, they traced people's goals for personality change, and they found these desires appeared to be rooted in dissatisfaction. People wanted to become more extroverted if they weren't happy with their, with their hobbies or their friendships or their relationship status. Uh, they wanted to become more conscientious if they were displeased with maybe their finances or the way things were going at school for them. But once people began to recognize larger patterns of shortcomings in their lives, they, they started to reshuffle their core values and their priorities to begin improving things. They began to move things so that there was a new priority and a new manner, and it came from this discontent. Now, I believe that there is a spiritual crystallization of discontent that is tied to, to the development of holy ambition because we all have discontent in our lives. There are things that we wish are different or better, and it could be any category. We talked about a variety of things that you might have felt discontent, but the crystallization of discontent is that moment where you go, something is not right, and it's going to change. And our priorities shift. And the allotment of our attention, of our energy, of our generosity begins to shift at City Collective this year, we experienced tremendous generosity and we were able to be incredibly generous. And let me encourage you that that's, that's time, that's energy, that's finances. And your financial generosity speaks volume about your priorities. If City Collective is your home, I think this is a great place to partner with as we move forward as a church. That this can be a manner in which you show that my finances matter and they are a priority in the right direction. And this becomes a decision that happens internally. It's a spirit of resolve that says things must and will change. It begins to shift all the areas of priority in your life when the crystallization of discontent takes place. And this is what happens for Nehemiah. Nehemiah said that this is not all right. 
what is happening to them is something has got to change. And there are moments that are going to come for you this year or perhaps came last year where you will say enough. And you step into what God has for you. Because here's the truth. Many of us, many of you are managing things and tolerating things that God says, this is the year that you need to draw a line in the sand, mark your spirit, that this is going to be the year that things change. That by the grace of God, I'm going to take hold of what he has for me. This is not an announcement to the world. You're not going to need to send a press release to all your friends to let you know that change is happening. This is something in your spirit that changes. And it might not even be noticed initially by those around you. But it says that something has got to give. That I've recognized that something needs to change. And the time is now. Most of us, if we're not careful, dismiss our discontent. I know others of us, we, we numb our discontent. And a lot of times we can even just get distracted. We think to ourselves, oh man, that's insane. I can't believe that's the case. How could we let that happen? Oh, the weather's amazing. Did you recognize that it would be nice today? Well, we should go for a walk after this. And we feel it, but then life comes at us. The crystallization of discontent is saying, well, now that I felt it, I've got to hold on to it. It doesn't mean that everything changes in a moment, but change begins in our heart towards a future moment. And this isn't just just your complaints coming to the forefront. This is a deep feeling, a conviction that starts to burn within you that something is not right. Why not let that preach to you? Don't silence it. Don't dismiss it. Don't numb it. Have a conversation with your discontent. What are you frustrated about? What needs to change? What is God stirring in your heart? So how do we move from worldly ambition to holy ambition? Step one, getting a kingdom vision, a vision beyond the concerns of your own life, outside, beyond the horizons of our own visions. And step two, the crystallization of discontent where you resolve in your spirit by the grace of God that things will change. And the third step is that you need to take radical, sacrificial action towards this. And this is what we see so beautifully embodied in the life of Nehemiah. The first thing he does is he takes action towards God. He begins to say, okay, God, I have a problem here. And I feel it deep within me. But you're God. You're the source. And someone who can actually do something about it. And he brings that forward. Now, we, we live in a society today, in particular Western society, that refuses to have any responsibility or obligation beyond ourselves. And in many ways, we think, well, that's not my problem. I didn't cause that issue. I wasn't here when those problems took, took place. And they didn't develop because of me. So it's just my personal peace and affluence that really matter. And this is the way that we start treating and forming our life. But society moves. When people identify with a cause larger than themselves and accept responsibility for what's broken. I think we saw this in 2020. That that's how society often responds. We saw this with the movements of, against racial injustice. And we see this with Nehemiah that he presents his discontent to a God who can do something about it. So when he prays, he says, God, we have a problem. I'm, I'm not God. You are. And he starts praying these dangerous prayers. You can see it burgeoning within him and it becomes part of his response later. But these dangerous prayers, they're not ones that many of us actually pray. 
We, we, we are more prone to pray friendship prayers, but these are covenant prayers. Friendship prayers are polite and nice. Oh, hey, how's it going? Uh, if you can help with this, that would be great. I know you're busy, um, but I don't understand if this, what's going on, I, but I won't hold it against you if nothing changes. Covenant prayers. They call upon the relationship and promises that God in heaven has instituted with you and me. I had the privilege of doing a few wedding ceremonies this last year, and I talk about covenant in everyone, not just a commitment, but a covenant, one that is heart, body, mind, and soul. And when we pray, we too often forget that that is a platform that we have been given to stand upon, that a covenant prayer is an invitation of God to call upon his promises, to call upon his goodness. And what I've learned and continue to learn is that the living out of covenant relation, relationship often involves strong intercommunication. Um, what I mean by this is that if someone were to hear um, Adriana and I converse on a topic or two, they might say that some of the conversation is uh, strong. <laughs> but, but that is what a covenant is. When there is a soul longing, a deep urgency, politeness went wore off on the honeymoon. Now we're left dealing with our lives. There's a commitment. There's a passion. We need to be all in and passionate about where we're going. These are not safe or polite prayers that we're talking about here. These are some come on prayers. Are you in or are you not? I'm telling you that when you start praying like this, you are believing for breakthrough to happen because it is coming from that place of crystallized discontent that is driving holy ambition. It's passion. It is urgency. And if you don't believe that God is who he is or that he will do what he says, then our prayers will be weak and polite and no offense. Weak and polite prayers are not the need of the hour. There is a deep invitation to strong prayer that is covenant-based that God gives. And Nehemiah is like, come on. And he has faith speaking in his prayers. And his faith speaks to people around him. And I love his strategic boldness. He basically goes into the king's presence sad, which, uh, as a note, you're not supposed to do. And the king asks him, what's up? And he's like, oh, it's just been a bad day. My people, you know what, they're in ruin. And the king's like, that's awful. What do you want me to do about it? And then the story progresses and Nehemiah's like, well, you know, one day, one idea I was kind of kicking around was basically, would you give me all the money, supplies, and, and let me go back and that you would fund the rebuilding of the walls and, and even the gates of the city of my people. Um, and another item, I think this would be really great if you did this. If, if possible, some letters and some protection and your blessing publicly. And if you could do that, that'd be wonderful. And the king's like, okay, well, let's go ahead and catch this. His boldness with God gives him the confidence to be bold with man. And as a result of that, breakthrough happens. So how do you convert worldly ambition into holy ambition? kingdom vision, the crystallization of discontent. And when that happens, you need to start taking radical, sacrificial action. When our personal ambition becomes a holy ambition, birthed from the desire and heart of God, powerful things begin to happen. 
Nehemiah did in 52 days what they were not able to do in the previous 52 years combined. And City Collective, I want you to imagine this with me. That area of discontent that always seems like it's just been the way that it has been. It's always been stuck in that manner in your life, in your family, in your community, in your city, in, in, our, in our country. What if in the next 52 weeks we see more fruit of transformation, of change, of healing, of restoration, of flourishing, of newness than the last 52 years combined. Because this is what happens when we get holy ambition that moves us into the purposes of God. And this is not a spirit of of arrogance or or self-righteousness or pride. This is meant to be in a spirit of compassion and urgency for this place that we call home. And so holy ambition, it says says this. It says, yes, I, I want domination and recognition. But it is for Jesus to dominate the brokenness and sin of our world. And what I want is for Jesus to rise and get the recognition for the kind of Savior he is. So I want to make this appeal to you, City Collective. Will you join Adriana and I in asking God for holy ambition? It is so easy to just coast by and serve our own personal peace and affluence. And I hope that you begin to look beyond your own horizons with your ambitions to catch that holy ambition that, that, that draws you from the riverbank. You know, you're just on the river, you're dipping your feet in, you're enjoying that it's a little bit cool, but actually drawn into the river of what God is doing and that your life is unrecognizable from when you started this year to where you're going. It's in the life of our church and your relationship with Jesus and your workplace and your families. I want you to know that wherever you find yourself and perhaps you're not even sure this morning, I'm praying with you. I am praying with you. That holy ambition would rise in your hearts. That is the need of our hour. Not just Christians in churches, but followers of Jesus with holy ambition, taking all that we have and committing it to the kingdom of God. I want to close with a, with a quote from James K. A. Smith. And he says, resting in the love of God doesn't squelch ambition. It fuels it with a different fire. I don't have to strive to get God to love me. Rather, because God loves me unconditionally, I'm free to take risks and launch out into the deep. I'm released to aspire to use my gifts in gratitude, caught up in God's mission for the sake of the world. 2021 is is directly ahead of us. And I believe, City Collective, I believe for anyone who is listening, that God has a spark to be lit inside of you, a vision to give to you. And would we commit ourselves in prayer, in listening, in devotion, in these early days of this year to catch the holy ambition that will drive us forward. Know that you are loved and this is an opportunity, an invitation from that loving God to take what has been given to you and to run, to learn, to fail, to make mistakes, and to discover what a good God he is as he leads us into the kingdom that he's building in our world. Let's pray together.
So Father, we give you thanks that your kingdom is being built all around us and that the invitation that you are presenting to us is not just to be uh, spectators, but to be co-builders, to be part of, of the process that is taking place, to catch your heart, to catch your vision, to be your hands and feet, to, to share the love that you've sh- shared with us. And Jesus, I just pray right now for anyone that's listening, that your heart would so just catch theirs, that there would just be a, a spark that's lit within their homes to move forward in this holy ambition, to look beyond their horizons, to crystallize their discontent, and to give boldness towards radical, sacrificial action. May your kingdom come, may your will be done in every single home that is listening right now, in the hearts of every family at City Collective and beyond. We believe right now a holy ambition is being sparked towards the beginning and towards the rest of 2021. To you we give the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.